Our scripture this morning comes from John chapter 8, and we will be reading verses 31 to 47. So if you have your Bible or would like to take one of the pew Bibles out from in front of, the, in front of you, uh, let's follow along on John eight thirty-one. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you, really, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, any, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. I have not come here on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. May God add his blessing to the reading of this word. Let's pray for Pastor Mike as he comes forward to deliver the message this morning. Dear Lord, it's so clear in your scripture that we make choices, we choose who we want to belong to and who we want to follow. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to follow your truth and and your way and to be set free of the things of this world that hold us and chain us down. And so, Lord, as Pastor Mike comes forward this morning, uh, just allow the words that you have given to him to share with us this morning ring loud and clear and just open our hearts to the great love and mercy that you have in store for each and every one of us. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to be without Keith for pretty much most of August, so you're going to be slumming it with me in the preaching role. Uh, so um, don't let that def- deter you. Get back uh, next week. Uh, but he'll be gone for a few weeks on vacation, as he likely told you in the sermon last week. Um, and uh, then he's going to Haiti. So a so, uh, uh, little free time and then some mission time. So uh, pray for him. I do want to take one, one minute here as we, we go into our, our, our sermon time to, to ask you, just as a congregation, to pray. I know that you get television, I know that you have the internet, I know that you read the newspaper, 
You saw in there this week, uh, Friday evening, um, that Joan Feller was in a horrible automobile accident at Hawkeye Downs, a racing accident, which we know is one of the perils of motorsports. And uh, Joan teaches with some of you at Linmar Schools, and um, I've confirmed both of their sons here in this church. Joan sang on our praise team for a number of years before moving to River of Life, and her husband, Kurt, uh, plays the bass at our 11 o'clock and 9.45 praise team off, um, often. So I'd encourage you to be praying for the Feller family. There are uh, a lot of things in, in the life and life balance right now, so uh, be praying for them. That's just hard moments. For our community, so uh, understand that for this congregation of faith, that's not a piece of news. That's a family incident. So uh, be praying for that. Also, want to celebrate a couple of things um, this uh, week. Um, our uh, Saturday, Friday, we had this uh, two huge events. We had our sewing day, where a lot of uh, bags were made for the United Methodist Commission on Relief. And I was telling several of the women these these uh, these school bags uh, were all over Haiti when I was there. A while back, um, kids carrying their their books and stuff in those bags. So I want to tell you, it's a ministry that gets used. And secondly, Friday night, our puppets put on their full performance uh, at First United Methodist Church of Clinton, and that was exciting. Now next week, um, there's a, a ministry that this congregation is going to be involved in, our 8:30 congregation, because you'll be praying for our team that's going to Haiti uh, the following week, because most of them attend this service. And they're going to come down here in the aisle, down here at the front of the uh, the communion rail at a certain point in our service, and we're going to lay hands on them and pray them. And they're also asking you uh, for two pretty much non-perishables, elbow macaroni, elbow macaroni, uh, to take with them, and creamy peanut butter, two non-perishables. They have to pack them in suitcases, so uh, um, if you can bring those next week, and I'd encourage this congregation, and when they come forward, just come down here and lay them beside them on the altar, so uh, that would be great. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is the sermon uh, for your day. And I told our 745 service, I said, now this is the first time I've preached a sermon like this. So you will be the barometer if I ever do it again. Let's give it a crack. What does it mean to truly be free? What does it really mean? I I had a, a man I was dealing with. Uh, a few years ago, his name was James, and we were talking a little bit, and I said, and he was leveraged to the hilt. I mean, he was working a job and had his bills that were way beyond what he could pay, and he started, started to kite checks. I don't know if you know what kiting a check is, but it's a federal offense. You, you, what you do is you open a, a, an account in a bank over here, and then you open an account in a bank over here, and then you write a check for like $10,000 from that bank into this bank and it takes three days for it to clear so this bank basically gives you a ten thousand dollars and this bank doesn't hasn't cleared that check yet so you're actually creating an offense against this bank well it's very illegal and and, you know crimes against the fdic are not smiled upon but james was doing that and i said dude you're going to get in so much trouble and he says look mike it's a free country i'm going to do what i want to do i don't know how long he was going to be free after that but but he kept saying, it's a free country. I can do what I want to do. And, and I thought about that for a long time. And I met a few years ago a woman here in town. She's about 27 years old. She's, her name was Marion. Um, we were down there talking at uh, Marion by Moonlight or the downtown get down. Or one of those times when the bands are downtown. And, and I, I kind of knew her life a little bit. And 
you know, she was uh, 27 years old, and she was just working so that she could go to the clubs. And I mean, she was spreading herself out around uh, quite a bit, if you know what I'm saying. And I said to her, Mary, one day, I said to her, where does this go for you? I mean, what, what is your future? You're 27 now, but what does this look like when you're 37? I mean, where are you going with all this? And she said, look, pastor, it's a free country. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. My question is, are those two really free? Are are they really free? I mean, I really wonder if they're free or if they're really handcuffed. See, the scripture this morning, the scripture that Vicki read in those first two verses, it does not say that you are free because you have freedom of choice. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, hey, you have freedom of choice, therefore, and hitherto, you are free. You can do whatever you want. That's not what it says. John 8, 31 says this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if, if, that's conditional. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, it's the truth that sets you free. It's the truth of God that sets you completely true, free, not just freedom as a random and open concept. See, I believe that the Satan's, Satan's most effective tool is to let people think they're free when in fact their choices are handcuffing them. In fact, their choices are enslaving them. And so we need to listen to this message particularly carefully because we live in a society that idolizes freedom and and to choose and do whatever we want. Could it be, I ask you, that we often are choosing enslavement without even knowing it? So so I want to try this, test drive this with a few ifs and thens. This This is going to be my trial sermon, so get to me before 945 if it goes poorly. No, I mean that. We need to pray for those people. They, they, you're forgiving, but no, no I'm just kidding. We'll put that first slide up there. If, if you're self-sufficient. The, the prevailing attitude in the North American culture is, let's be self-sufficient. Let's be on our own. We can do life on our own. I, I knew a guy that truly did this. His name was Wally McKinney. He was what was known as a subsistence farmer. He wanted to live off off the land. He lived far out of Orchard City, Colorado. And you cannot find Orchard City, Colorado, even if you were looking for it. It's in one of those kinds of places. And Wally had by his driveway these big signs, keep out, I'm on my own. I don't want people back here. And he lived back there. We don't know what he did. He had goats and cows and all kinds of stuff. And then one day, Wally was welding something or something, and his settling torch broke and and I mean, he caught, he caught 15 acres on fire like this. And you know what his neighbors did? His neighbors didn't do what we would instinctively do, which was rush to help Wally. That's not what they did. That's not what they did. If, you, if you're self-sufficient, then you're enslaved without knowing it. See, because here's what happened to Wally. People surrounded his land to protect their own. They started running their backhoes and they're knocking down their own trees so the fire wouldn't go across there. Now, Wally's goats were coming out his camp, but he clearly didn't want any help. He was, he was on his own. And, and even though the natural instinct was, let's go rescue, 
He was on his own. And and see, if you're self-sufficient, you're enslaved without even knowing it because when I is at the center of your universe, it's a very lonely place. If if I is all that matters to you, you, you are a very, very lonely place. I took a class on Alfred North Whitehead every once in a while. Those of you that are visiting, every once in a while, I need to prove that I went to seminary. I paid a lot of money for this class, a three-hour class. And this is what I remember from this class. Alfred North Whitehead wrote this. My best definition of hell is complete darkness, complete silence, and complete aloneness forever. Listen to that. My best definition of hell is complete darkness complete silence, and complete aloneness forever. That is total and complete self-sufficiency. Sound like freedom to you? Or a horrible, awful prison? Sounds horribly enslaving to me. If you can follow God without changing your behavior, if, if all of your natural instincts all of them are okay and they seem right. And, and you never seem to need to apologize or redo anything because what you're doing seems to fall right in line with the way you think God sees things. If, if you can follow God without ever changing your behavior, then you're enslaved without knowing it. You're absolutely enslaved without knowing. Because you've invented a God whose only higher purpose is you. I, I thought Keith did a masterful job talking about this last week. You've invented a God that's only higher purpose as you. And you can only survive as far as you can go. So that means that it, it, you, you, well, you'll never need forgiveness because you don't do anything wrong. So, so it's unnecessary to ever give any forgiveness or get any forgiveness because if you are the center of all things, you don't need to give any forgiveness because they're just wrong and that's the way it is. And to me, that just sounds silly. And, and if you... Uh, you're enslaved when you don't know it because you don't need any of your fears relieved because you don't need anybody to do that for you because you don't have any fears because nothing makes you afraid and and you're not troubled by anything. And to me, that's even sillier than not needing to forgive anyone. But get this. If you follow God without, if you can follow God without ever changing your behavior, you're enslaved because you've got everlasting life under your control. Now understand how silly this is because I know folks like this. Well, I've got that all under control. It's like, dude, you didn't even make your own life. How can you be in charge of your everlasting life if you didn't make the life you have? Someone else made that for you, right? Someone else gave that to you. You didn't make it yourself. If you think you can follow God's will without changing your behavior, then you're enslaved without even knowing it. If you think... You can quit the things you struggle with, but can't. I was talking to one of my friends not too long ago. He's been a smoker for a long time. Uh, he's a good dude. He just got that habit, you know. And he was telling me, he says, you know, quitting smoking's not that hard. He says, I've quit a hundred times. <laughs> Some of us other have, have habits or addiction like that. It ain't that hard to quit. It just, you know, doesn't last that long. Now, if you, if you think you can quit the things that you struggle with but can't, if you've got in fear, you know, fears in your life, and you say, well, hey, I'll just turn over another leaf, and it'll go, you know, I've got these fears in my life, but, and then you realize, no, I can't handle them. No matter how hard, if I've got anxieties in my life, and, 
and uh, you can't handle them, if you struggle with them and you just can't quit them, if you've got depression or frustration or if you've got guilt about something or you've been ashamed of something you did in the past and you want to quit it but you can't, you're struggling with it, then you are enslaved and you know it. But there's a way out. Not surprisingly, that's what I came by to talk about today. Knowing that you are not self-sufficient, knowing that you're not perfect as is right off the showroom floor, knowing that that you're not perfect and, and, and knowing that you're unable to whip that which is truly difficult is important for us. <clears throat> I added a line to my sermon last night. I was at the University of Hos- Iowa Hospital for many hours yesterday. And, and when you're standing in, in the waiting room where I was standing, nobody's there because they're having a great day. It's just brokenness and sadness all around. And this young woman came up to me and she said this. I wrote it down. She said, uh, looking around the room, she says, we're either broken and needing help or we're lying. I thought, how true is that in all of life? We're either broken and needing help or we're lying. See, Jesus comes to shine the dark, the light, uh, his light into the darkness of our difficulties. Jesus comes to, to, to cast his light into the darkness in which we, we face all the time. Pastor Keith did a fantastic job last week of talking about how, how what the light does is simply shine on what is true. It, it just shows us what is true. Let me give you a little example. When you come into worship and you look at the chancel stage the way it is, it looks beautiful. It's a beautiful carpet, nice oak front to it, beautiful altar, all these kind of things. But here's what you don't know about this stage that's in the center of, of the holy house of God. is underneath it. You know, we built this stage on top of another stage that already exists. We pulled the carpet off. You come down in here, there's still tack, tack strips that got the nails sticking straight up. There's still glue in there. People's cups fall down through this center aisle. We got dirt under there. There's broken cords. Heck, we have to send one of our confirmation students under there once a year just to clean it up. <laughs> They're pointing at each other. But, I mean, it's a dark, nasty, just, you know, you know, probably even a spider or two under there right now. Here in the, in the holy sanctuary of God. But, but, but that's because it's in the darkness and, and nobody's in there shining light. But when we show light on it, we say, wow, there's a mess in here. We better clean it up. Is that not the truth in our own hearts and lives? I, I mean, we know we're enslaved. And we want a way out. We know that there's darkness. We know that there's sin. We know that there's brokenness. Or maybe if we don't know there's brokenness, we're, we're just liars. The truth is that, that we're shackled by, by the gravity of human life. We're shackled by the, the gravity of human sin and the difficulty of the things that we come against every single day. And once we see this and acknowledge our reality, we can see that there's a way out. Many, many of you have come into contact with me one way or another. I'm a guy from Marion, came back to be the pastor here at this church. And when I was younger, Thomas Park was, was where it is now. And I lived in South Marion. And before they built what we called the Menser Trail, the fastest way from Thomas Park to my home was to cut through Oakshade, to cut through the cemetery. All, all of us in South Marion did it, right? Everybody's nodding their head that lived now. We cut through it all the time. So the cemetery was not a scary thing to us. And at dark, it, it was still a cemetery, but we'd cut through it. And now I want to tell you about a, a story about a guy who, who used to cut through the cemetery on his way home from work. He worked second shift. So he got off about 11.15, 11.30, something like that. 
And, and the, the cemetery, not, not Oakshade, but another one like it, was between his home and his workplace. So he would just cut across there to save a lot of time. Well, one day, you know, obviously something had happened in town and he was cutting through there. And, and in the dark, you know, he was familiar with it, but in the dark, he fell into an open grave. And oh my gosh, he says, I got to get out of here. It's, you know, the ground's way above it. And so he starts jumping up, trying to climb up and he's sliding down the wall. He could, you know, he's trying to find a foothold, trying to grab onto anything to get out of there because he knows he's in a grave and he knows he wants out. Well, unbeknownst to him, his buddy, Jimmy, that had gotten off about 15 minutes earlier that day, cutting across the same cemetery, fell into the same grave. But he'd given up. Jimmy had given up. He sat in the corner and he, he's back there in the shadows. And so Davey here, he, he's trying to get out of there. He can't get out at all. And, and Jimmy's sitting there in the corner and out of the darkness, you know, Davey hears this voice. Davey, you can't get out of here. But he did. And that's what we want out of our darkness. That's what we want out of the places where we can't climb out of ourselves. We need a way out. We might not have that superhuman strength of a, you know, a story like I just told you to jump out of there. But our God has said, when you know you're enslaved, there is a way out. You, you may feel like you can't get out of where you're at. But I just came by as your pastor today and as one who loves the children of God. You might feel like you can't get out of where you are, but I want to tell you that you can. You can because you're not alone. And I know that Pastor Keith doesn't like the schmaltzy coffee cups. I know he doesn't like Christian t-shirts unless he's selling them. (laughs) And he always makes fun sometimes of these things that some of us frankly like, and I I don't care. Because there's this poem. You know the poem, Footprints? It's schmaltzy, and I don't want to string too many pearls together in this sermon, but... You know, the, the, this, this Footprints poem, if you don't, if, I'm not going to go through it all, but you can look it up online. There's that line in the Footprints poem where, where it talks about Jesus saying to, to one who is struggling, you know, you look back at the worst moments of life and you think you were walking alone, but, but that's the times when I was carrying you. And I just came by this morning to tell you, if you think you can't get out of where you're at, if you think you're walking alone, You are mistaken. You see, Jesus carries you and frees you for freedom so that you might be free, so that you might feel not like your life is a trap, so that you might feel that you're not enslaved to sin or darkness or death. He frees you for freedom. So if you remain faithful to Jesus' teaching, if you examine the evidence, if you probe and seek the truth, if you pour over the scriptures seeking to see what in, for instance, right now in this year period of time, what is the gospel of John trying to say to us? If you seek the truth and let it grow, if you just let it grow, there's a way out for you. I I had one of these beautiful, you know, I was young, young, young in my early 20s when I became pastor in a small church and, and there was a woman that was 90 and when you're in your 20s 90 seems unattainable and some of you can see it from where you're sitting some of you are looking backwards at it you're like what's wrong with 90 well when you're 20 something and you meet someone that's 90 that is astonishingly faithful her, her name was Iona Dowdy and and we lived up in the mountains, and Iona came to church every Sunday and every Tuesday, no matter what. She couldn't drive anymore. She lived six blocks from the church. 
and she would put on her little coat, and you would see Iona trudging. Wind would be blowing. I mean, she weighed, you know, 95 pounds or something. Wind would be blowing her, and she'd barely be moving, walking in place. But when she would get to the church, because she was 90-something, she would often first come inside the door and sit down in a chair and just catch her breath. So I went over to Iona one day, and I was talking to her. I, I thought, you know, it's about time for somebody in their 20s to let some wisdom drop on them from somebody in their 90s. And I said to her, why do you do it? Why through thick and thin, snow, rain, wind, do you walk to church every single day? And she said this. She said, you know, when I was younger, my father said, Iona, you have to commit to the process of being faithful. Commit to the process of being faithful. Go to your Sunday school. Read your Bible and make sure you attend to the worship of the Almighty God and stick with it. And she said, you know, Pastor Mike, the longer I've remained faithful to the process, the greater my faith has become. The larger my trust in the Lord is, the depth and richness of it, because I am committed fully and, 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 and completely. And there is nothing in all of heaven or earth that can separate me from God. I love that. I, I, I live in that. That happened 30 some years ago. And, and it reminds me this simple truth that if you remain faithful to Jesus' truth teachings, then you know relevance, truth, and freedom. It's a process. You commit yourself to the process of living in Christ. You know, see, we believe in Christ. We live in Christ, which means to say that we wrap Christ around us every single day. And that allows us to live in the world faithfully. Because I'll tell you what, arrows and slings are coming at you all the time. There is possibility of sin and brokenness. And like that little girl told me last night, we're either, we're either broken or lying. And we see that all around us. So when we, when we say we're living in Christ, our goal to live in Christ is in this world. Because one thing I cannot do is I cannot change the world of its sin and brokenness. But I can change myself within that. And I can, by the power of God, seek to help you change within the midst of this. If you remain faithful to Christ's teaching, you'll know relevance, truth, and freedom. And it will be clear to you. And, and hear this, Christians, because we live in a way, in, in a time when the wind is always blowing to and fro and teachings are coming and going. But I want you to know, because it's important for us to understand, that, that, that when you live in faithfulness, you, you will know relevance, truth, and freedom. And you will be, it will become clear in your mind that relative tr relevance, truth, and freedom is eternal and unchanging. It's not based on the latest Vine video. It's not based on what you posted on Facebook. It's not based on what was in the Sunday morning paper that you might have read this morning or whatever the latest happening is. It's based in the ground of all being. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's where truth, relevance, and, and freedom is. So if you know the truth, if you know the truth, you know and see the fidelity and passion that God has for us. If you know the truth, then you understand what this is all about. If you know the truth, you know where this is all going today. 
If you know the truth, you know what Christ's sacrifice on the cross was. You know what it means when he opens up a, a, a loaf of bread and says, this is my body. When he holds up a cup of juice and says, this is my blood. We know that they really aren't. But we know what the truth of them are. Is that we are receiving those things. And if you know the truth, you see the fidelity that God has for us and, and his passion for us. And you have passionate fidelity. For God's purpose for your life and your freedom. Understand that. You have passionate fidelity to God's purpose for your life and your freedom. If you know the truth, then you're freed from your enslavement to sin. And sin and death and fear and anything that troubles you. While it still may trouble you, it has no power over you. It is unable to defeat you. It has already been beaten before you enter, enter into the battle. You are set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is basic Christian teaching. I'm not coming into anything new. And you are adopted by grace into the family of God. See, this was the big argument. Uh, I will take a few moments and explain to you the rest of the, of, of the scripture here. The big argument between Jesus and the Jews is this. Jesus was saying, you're not children of God. You're not children of God because you're pursuing rituals and rules. I'm children of God. I'm a child of God because I come from God himself. And if you want to be a child of God, you can become a child of God by leaning into the truth because the truth will set you free. But they were not leaning into the truth. They were leaning into themselves and their own lives. Those of us that lean into the truth are adopted by grace. We've done nothing to deserve what God gives us. But he adopts us by grace and we become part of the lineage of the eternal God. So if you know the truth, you are freed from your enslavement. And if you are free, then you adore God with your everything. You absolutely adore God with your everything. And you freely focus your choices in all of life on what God would love. If you are free, then you're able to be all that you were meant to be. Hear that. If you're free... You're able to be all that you were meant to be. It's not about the fact that it's free and I can do whatever I want. It means that you're able to do all you were meant to be, a servant and a child of God. I, I love in the Methodist liturgy, we have this line that says in our communion service, let us be for the world, let us be for the world, the body and blood of Christ, which is to say, let us be for the world the embodiment of Christ in the places we, leave, we live. That's the freedom that you were meant to have. And you're able to be that which you were meant to be because Christ set you free. And he set you free because he loves you. And I say all this to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.